today I want to speak about restoration. The Bible speaks a lot about restoration uh, in both Old and in New Test the New Testament. And while generally it's speaking the restoration of all things is when, like Acts 3.21 talks about, refers to the time when Christ comes back and restores all things that, to what God uh, intended, intended them to be. Um, while that is still an anticipation for the future, God has already restored a lot of things to the church that I believe much of the church around the world still has to catch up on. And I want to try to share a little of that this, with you in this session. I'm just going to run through it very quickly. But before, before we do that, can I just say again that I believe uh, that God is seeking to bring his church back to the Bible. I've said this before and just put up with me, please, while I just repeat this little part again. I believe that God is seeking to bring the church back to the Bible in every area of its life and every area of our function. Restoration. I believe that uh, he wants us, the church, to do things like Jesus and the New Testament church did, to turn from Christianized entertainment and turn from mere motivational preaching and to turn from guru preach pastors and uh, preachers with their little groupies. I've said this before, but I just I really believe it's important to repeat it again. To turn from guru pastors and and preachers with their little groupies, unbiblical emphasis and unbiblical practices, and you'll see this and why I'm saying this again when we read Ezekiel uh, 43 in a few minutes. But he wants to bring the church back to servant-hearted leadership uh, and servant-hearted followers, as you can read of in Mark chapter 10, verses 41 to 45. And uh, he wants to bring the church back to leaders and followers that hear his voice above all other voices. And there's so many voices clamoring for our attention today in the church, people wanting to be heard, people saying God said, people prophesying so-called things that God was supposed to have said, to move back from that, back to while we acknowledge that God speaks through the prophets, but to come back to where we hear his voice above all the other voices that are clamoring for our attention. And to once again get back to where we preach Christ as Lord and as King. We preach his kingdom. And uh, not just convenient truth. Uh, build the, the church Christ's way, the Bible way. And can I just say this again, that every church, no matter what its size, should be a base. God wants to raise up based churches all around the, the world. Bases from which he can reach all nations, fulfill the Great Commission. And not just pampering the, the, the sheep, not just gathering, but going. Not just staying, but sending. Not just getting, but giving. And uh, that Sunday meetings need to change Bible studies sometimes might need a change. Um, that we need to get back to where we're saying, how does this fulfill God's great commission? Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, make disciples of all nations. And that when we do gather on a Sunday and when we do gather at Bible studies, that we grow up. We don't just remain the same, that we grow up and that we grow out and then that we go out. And when we go out, that we go out and, and we're effective and fruitful for God. Can I just remind you that, that of what I said a little bit about, just, I just want to touch a little one part of this as we move into and read uh, Ezekiel 43, that 
to be prophetic, there's three aspects about being prophetic. The one is, is prophet, the, prophet, the prophetic has hindsight, it has um, foresight, and it has insight. Can I just say that again? The prophetic has hindsight. In other words, hindsight is we look back and we understand what God has been trying to do and why he's been doing it. And we're going to touch some of that in this session. What has God already restored? What has God been doing in the past that the church has to sometimes, many parts of the church, possibly even the church you're in and in your leadership, uh, that we need to catch up with, catch up on, be back where, where God's at, get on the right page with the same page as God. And then it's not only prof the, prof the prophetic has hindsight, but it also has foresight that it can see where God is taking us to understand the future and avoid all the unnecessary problems that uh, that give us no hope. God wants us to have hope. And then the prophetic not only has hindsight and foresight, but it has insight. Uh, in other words, it helps us to understand what needs to be done in the church in order to become the people that God wants us to be, and also to be more effective, fruitful, influential, and impact the world in all of that we're doing as we seek to do God's will. <clears throat> Remember the sons of Issachar, 1 Chronicles chapter, I think it's chapter 12, verse 32, that the sons of Issachar could, they understood the times and knew what Israel, the people of God, were, were to do. And God is wanting... To, to make that true for us again. Remember Amos 3, I think it's uh, verse 7, that God does nothing without first revealing these things to the prophets. And as David spoke in Acts chapter, three verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 31, seeing what was ahead, he spoke. And so this is what we're talking about uh, in this message this morning. I haven't done this teaching for, for, for many, many years, and so I'm hoping it'll be a... If you knew it or if, uh, you've heard me preach 20, 30 years ago about it, that you just let it sink into your heart again by the revelation of the Spirit of God. I want to speak to you quickly about some of the things that, that God wants to restore. He wants to restore what was lost. He wants to restore what was stolen. And he wants to restore what is most needed. But before we do that, we're going to just look at what this Ezekiel 43 says, because this is what sparked it for me again to, to do this teaching. I was reading this in my devotions the other day, waiting upon God and uh, trying to hear his voice. And this is what I read again in, in Ezekiel chapter 43, where my heading says the glory returns to the, church, to the temple. It says, Ezekiel says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the vision and the land, the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like a vision I had seen when he had come to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen at the Kibar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the, face, the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into now listen to this into the inner court. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While a man was, sta was standing beside me, I heard someone speak to me from inside the temple. 
He said, Son of man, this is my, the place of my throne. Now, our hearts, our lives, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And put together, believer with believer, we form a holy habitation for God. The place where his throne should be able to rule and reign. So this, he said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel will never again defile my holy name. And so it goes on. But listen to this verse 8 now. When they placed their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. Go down to verse 10. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider the plan and if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple. Now what the Spirit of God was showing him here was that in the temple there were the man-made things and there was the God-ordained things with just a thin separation, a little thin paper wall. And that's what the church is like today. So much as what man has made, what man has implemented, what man has initiated, that is not God-initiated, and it's not what God intended. It's there's just this differentiation, this distinction that God's saying, I want to break down. And they've got to repent of it. So as I share with you some of the stuff that God has already restored, something, some of the stuff that was stolen, that was lost, and what is most needed, that as I share that, just like the angel said to, or the voice said to, 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 to Ezekiel here, describe it to them, and if they are ashamed of what they've done. In other words, if they're willing to repent, if they stop carrying on with just the man-made stuff and respond to and grab a hold of, take a hold of my, the God stuff, then share more with them. So it depends on our response as to how much revelation we're going to get from God through this study and as God into the future unfolds more and more and more truth to you, the church that you're leading or part of, and to the church in the broader sense. So it's as we respond. If we don't respond, we don't get the revelation that God wants to give us. So he puts the ball in our hands by the Spirit of God with the help and, uh, of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, all available to us. So with that in mind, let me just say that there are these three things again that God wants to or has restored and is restoring. Uh, while he started this, when I give you these times and dates and these truths, uh, that wasn't the perfection of it. He's still doing more and more and more of all of these things. But as he has progressed through time, the ages, the decades, the centuries, uh, the, those that have responded have got more revelation. Those that only responded for a while and stopped responding, didn't stay under the cloud, uh, like the book of Numbers tells us, etc., they didn't get any more. But those who get the revelation, respond to it, get more and more and more. So here's what some of, some of what was lost, the restoration of truth that was lost. 
In the 1300s, I'm going to just pick up there because we couldn't, can't go all the way back. But in the 1300s, when the, the church had lost what the book of Acts was living in, and it had just got steadily and steadily darker and weaker as a church, less effective. In the 1300s, God, by His Spirit, used Wycliffe to translate the Bible into the language of the people. So suddenly the people of uh, the language of the Bible uh, became the, the language that people could understand. And that was the 1300s through Wycliffe. The Bible was translated to the, into the language of the people. In the 1400s, God <clears throat> used the printing press. Suddenly, there were, instead of all these scrolls, we had the printing press. And God used that. It was all part of God's restoration program in that the Word of God then suddenly, in the language of the people, got into the hands of the people again. The common people wasn't just in the hands of priests who controlled things, manipulated things, uh, deceived people sometimes, with their linguistic gymnastics, making texts mean things that the Bible never intended, etc. Suddenly, the people had the Word of God in their own hands in the 1400s. In the 1500s, the restoration of the truth that people can be saved through the Word of God, through the Reformation that took place, uh, that we look at to, uh, back at uh, with amazement sometimes at what God did there, the nailing of that thesis, uh, That all took place in the 1500s, that people were saved through the, through the Word of God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God was in the hands of the people again, and the people loved it. And as they read the Word of God, um, faith was stirred. Martin Luther, uh, and through the, that movement, spread across the, across the world. In the 1600s, people were got more and more grounded in the Word of God, firmly grounded, stood for truth, stood upon the Word of God. In the 1700s, through the Brethren movement, God began to remove the hierarchy that had established itself in the church. And uh, through the Congregational movement, the autonomy of the local church was back in the hands of, the, of God's leaders and God's people, taken away from the hierarchy and back again where each and every local church became autonomous through the, bread, the congregational movement. And then through the Baptist movement, that was perpetuated. In the 1800s, through the Wesleys and the Whitfields, God was able to take the church from within the walls of a building out into the fields uh, and into the streets. And all of that, where uh, open-air preaching began to take place again and going to the people where they were, uh, that was in the in the 1800s. Uh, simultaneous with that was that people began to understand they can be instantly saved right now by faith, and that, that they can know the, the the whole truth about the witness of the Holy Spirit. That inward witness was restored to the church, and that we could live a victorious life, a holiness, a holy life, a life of victory. All of this was restored in the 1800s, and that. This is such an amazing thing, too, that we didn't have to have a formal education with degrees, etc. We just needed, in order to be in, uh, to preach the gospel, we just needed to be called of God and to know it, that God's call was on our lives and the anointing of God rested upon us. And that was all restored in the 1800s. And, and also the priesthood of all believers, that pastors didn't have the control of the people. 
that we were all equal believers, the priesthood of all believers, that all of us can share the message of the gospel. As all we have to be, the only thing that qualifies us is to be, have to be, to be saved. Now, can I just stop for a moment and say, how many of the people in your church know that? The church, how often do you preach that? All these things that I've just said, and we're now only in the 1800s still. And then in 1859, there were waves of evangelistic fervor as people began to grasp these truths that I've just talked about that were restored. And people just went out and got people saved all over the place. In the 1900s, in 1906, there was an outpouring of, outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the, through the Pentecostal movement. And then the, the 1920s, the anticipation of the second coming of Christ, suddenly an expectation was created in the hearts of the people. Ago. They began to look forward to the, the second coming of Christ. This is the 1920s. And then divine healing and uh, the laying on of hands, the impartation of God's anointing and God's authority and power. All of these were restored in the 1920s. In the 1940s, the prophecy movement emerged that God was start to speak about prophetic things into the future, etc. And then the latter rain was the outpouring of the Spirit of God in a, a much wider uh, sense than just the Pentecostal movement. Then there was the deliverance movement where people were delivered from demons. And there was the inner healing movement and the healing ministry, the laying on of hands for healing, that people were healed instantly through the laying on of hands. And then there was the teaching ministry, all of this in the 1940s to the 1960s, where great teachers began to preach the Word of God and churches, big churches began to fill up with people that were longing to hear teachers teaching the Word of God, God raising up these teachers. In the 1970s, the, the discipleship movement and uh, that, that God didn't want just converts, but He wanted disciples and that the praise and worship was restored to the church in a different way again, where people began to raise their hands and clap their hands and dance and worship from within and worship in, in, in foreign language, tongues, etc. And then there was the word faith prosperity movement. And, and I know that none of these are perfect movements. These are, some took some of these things to extremes and created havoc in the body of Christ. But nonetheless, God restored the truth in these times. So it was the word faith prosperity movement. Then the charismatic movement came about in the 1970s in a stronger way. And then the 1980s, God began to restore truth again about the kingdom of God and brought it back onto center stage. Team ministry, that it wasn't just individuals, but teams. And that God was done with individual powerful ministry, uh, getting all the glory and the honor. And it was teams where no one but Christ got the glory. And then there was not only that, but there was a new, in the 1980s a new breed, a, a different type of leadership and a different type of believer to what was normal. The home cell movement and then power evangelism and correct church government all in the 1980s. And then in the 1990s, I hope I'm not going too fast for you, uh, but you can stop and write some of these things down and ask yourself before God, stand there, God, are we living in this? What have we lost again? You see, it was stolen and God's restoring it. And suddenly it, it may be that you need to get it restored again. Some, you may have known some of this, but it's been stolen again. But going on quickly, the 1990s, the discipling of nations and church planting was restored in the, in the 80s and the 90s. Apostolic prophetic team ministries 
uh, the unity of the body, that Christ says only one body, and God wants us to walk in unity together, for there he commands the blessing. And then liberty of all believers, the freedom that they have, and to stand fast in that freedom. God's healing community, the church becoming God's healing community in the 1990s, harvest time, such great reaping of souls. And then there was the preparing of a bride for war. And then there was the, uh, the presence of God and revival in the 1990s. And then I just want to talk a little bit about the 21st century, uh, just a little bit of what God has restored there and is restoring. Resurrection life, essential for Christ-likeness and for true effectiveness. So we need to not only know the cross, but we need to know the resurrected life. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Christ raised up, living inside of us by His Spirit in resurrection power. And then also in the, in the 21st century, effective church strategy that was Bible-based. Strategies that God gave us. And then He restored to us integrity and honesty-based relationships with team. In other words, the power of true biblical unity. And then the centrality of Christ as king and his kingdom. Again, the emphasis came back. Christ needs to be central. Yes, also the cross and its outworking in cleansing and refreshing and in resurrection life. And then the whole Bible, sound theology, God began to emphasize again sound theology, gave us theologians uh, and people who wanted to know what the word of God really stood for, not just strict texts taken out of context and becoming pretexts. Sound theology, the restoration of praise and worship, a wineskin for the end times. Uh, good government, worship, evangelism, structure, simplicity, that God's goal wasn't so much just church planting, but Christ-likeness. And while church planting was, was essential and still is, because the only way to win the world to make disciples of all nations is to plant New Testament churches, New Testament churches that believe what the Bible says in its entirety in every village, town, city, country around the world as God leads us and that we, 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 we need to become Christ-like in our church planting and also that you can only keep, God was bringing the emphasis back again in the 21st century of you can only keep what God's given you. Now some people still haven't learned that, they're still stealing. They're stealing other people's sheep. They're stealing churches from people. They're stealing, stealing, stealing truth. <clears throat> Making out like they're the only ones that have it when they got it from someone else and somewhere else. That you can only keep what's been given to you, for, to you from above. And with that, coupled with that, was that he, Jesus, must increase while we, his servants, must decrease. No more self-exaltation, self-promotion, etc. And... Um, Re-emphasizing team again is just just keeps on coming back. Team, team, team. No more one man, one person, one man shows. And then he restored also, been seeking to restore. Who is it that gets all the glory? Him and him alone, or are we going to still keep taking the glory for ourselves? And then let me just quickly move on and say that the, that was what was what was lost. Now let's just have a quick look at some of the stuff that was stolen if you don't mind me quickly doing that. What was stolen is that we, 
we know we need to, the restoration of being radically word-based and the restoration of team and us understanding that team is, is also husband, wife and family. There's teams of elders, there's teams of deacons, there's teams that, that are translocal, that work with the local. And then the, 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 the A team, the big team, the real team, is the whole church working together. And then also what was uh, stolen, this is all part of a value system that, that somewhere got eroded and corrupted and perverted that God is seeking to bring back again and restore. Uh, not only being radically word-based and team-based, but governmental relationships or, and covenantal relationships and friendships. Not just functioning, but being friends together and functioning together. Um, that function was more important than titles. So many people are still wanting titles, but God's saying, just do the job. It's more important than getting a title. And then the way the, the anointing operates, God is, is trying to restore that. It was stolen, how the anointing operates. To be, in other words, to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. Uh, to go to the, to the nations and not, not just gathering in a building. All of these being re-emphasized, brought back. Um, owning evangelism as a lifestyle, not just an occasion. So many churches have occasions when they bring an evangelist in, but evangelism needs to become a lifestyle where God adds to the church daily those who are being saved. A vulnerability. Being vulnerable, transparent, honest with integrity. That instead of the minority carrying the majority, God is restoring the fact that the majority needs to carry the minority. Uh, being wild, but not weird. All of these things are part of the value system God is restoring. Going beyond the third and fourth generations. Sacrificial living or lifestyle. No generation gaps. Keeping people, God, God's people free, the year of Jubilee. Preparing believers, all believers for leadership. All of these things were stolen and God's seeking to restore them as a value, a value system within the hearts and the lives of the people and the leaders, churches. Preparing all of believers for, for leadership. Not distracted by being distracted by every new emphasis. God is seeking to overcome burnout by bringing us back into the rest of God, where we rest, maturity, that we grow up and stop acting like babies, reality, authenticity, God, these are values that got lost. People did, were no longer being real. Uh, the authenticity just lost its value. And then husbands and wives living out the call of God together. Not where someone, one of them goes off earning money somewhere and, making, and living for something else while the one seeks to serve God, but together, serving God together. Radical converts. Priesthood of all believers again. People, this is an important value, to be teachable again. For purity, faithfulness, flexibility, the fatherhood of God, a life of faith, grace, obedience, 
prayer, continuity, and the kingdom of God being God's total answer to man's total needs. Well, I look at the clock and 28 minutes gone. Can I finish off by saying this? The restoration of what is most needed. And that is, I'm going to say it this way. A true, biblical, God-honoring, Christ-exalting revelation and manifestation of God in our midst. In other words, the true, biblical presence of God in our midst. True, biblical presence of God in our midst. So I'm going to say this again. For that to be a true biblical, it has to be God-honoring, Christ-exalting, a revelation and manifestation of God in our midst. Remembering this, that where two or three are gathered together in His name, He says, there am I in the midst of them. We don't need these gurus coming in and saying, this is how and here, receive. it's God in our midst, exalting Jesus, not man, fulfilling Bible lifestyle. So, to sum it up, the restoration of authority, power, and creativity, the authority the power and the creativity of the kingdom of God. Father, help us by the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. Help us to respond from the heart so that as we respond, like you said to Ezekiel, if they will repent, be ashamed of, show them more. God, will you by your Spirit show us more? Every person listening now, me included, show us more. Take us on. But where you and you alone get all the honor, all the glory forever and ever. Bless all your people. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you.